Well, we are continuing our study, uh, or our Advent series, uh, in the Gospel of Luke. We've been looking at the announcements of the angels. Um, Particularly, uh, we've looked at the announcement to Zechariah and Elizabeth, and the foretelling of the birth of John the Baptist. And this week, we're going to move to uh, the telling, or the the announcement to Mary about the birth of Jesus. Jesus. Um, and then we'll go forward from there to talk about the announcement uh, sort of to the kingdom of Jesus' actual birth. And then we'll talk a little bit about uh, the last Sunday of the month. We'll look at the, the angelic announcement uh, to the shepherds. Um, so we'll look at those announcements. But this week we're going to be looking at the announcement to Mary. So with that, let's turn to our text. Uh, it's found for you in your bulletin. Uh, it's Luke chapter 1, 26 to 38. You can follow along on, in the bulletin or in your Bibles. Luke chapter 1, 26 to 38. Hear God's word. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying, and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The word of the Lord. Pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. And Lord, we thank you for this angelic word to Mary, this this pronouncement of good news. And so, Lord, help us to see the good news in this text this morning. Apply it to our hearts by your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In our community group this past week, we spent time comparing and contrasting. This is what you do, right? you, you grew up with a mother who's an English teacher. You do comparison and contrasting. This is kind of what you do with all sorts of literature. But we can do that with our text because there are two side-by-side texts that are very similar in many ways. The birth announcement to Zechariah and Elizabeth and the birth announcement to Mary. Um, and so we, we looked at all the things that they had in common, and there are many. It's the same messenger, right? Gabriel, the angel. Uh, they are both about a miraculous birth. Both women in the story are trusting servants of God, and both babies to be born would be central to the redemptive purposes of God and mission of God. 
course, the Holy Spirit also plays a central role in both, bringing life. But as a group, as we started to sort of wrestle with the comparisons, we quickly jumped to the contrasts. And there's a good reason for that. There is a sharp difference between these two accounts. A radical difference. The first announcement to Zechariah and Elizabeth was announcing the birth of a great prophet. But the second announced the birth of the Son of God. This is not a matter of degrees of difference, right? It's not a small incremental change. It is an infinitely exponential difference. Birth of a prophet. Birth of the Son of God. This morning we are staring into the impenetrable mystery of the God-man. Humanly speaking, a virgin cannot bear a son. And even if it is the case, how could any mother on earth bear the Son of God? Yet Gabriel sums it up best. When in the end he says, nothing will be impossible with God. Friends, as we celebrate Christmas, we are celebrating the impossible made possible. We are recounting and rejoicing in the infinite power and tender mercy of God toward mankind. Friends, nothing is impossible with God. And I want us to consider that reality, that truth in three pieces. First, the impossible vessel. We'll look at the impossible vessel in Mary. Second, we'll look at the impossible God-man. And then thirdly, we'll look at what it means to trust in this impossibility that is made possible by God. So first, the impossible vessel. The text begins begins with a time stamp. Uh, In the sixth month. What is that referring to? Well, simply the sixth month. It's the sixth month since Zechariah and Elizabeth received the news and conceived John. And we, we, get a, we, we understand that as well because at the end of our text, the angel Gabriel points this out to Mary that she's been, um, that this is five months or six months since. Um, it's the, the sort of pro, by, by way of process. Um, um, so this is after uh, the birth announcement to Zechariah by a matter of six months. And it's kind of interesting because Elizabeth, after conceiving, sequestered herself. She went into hiding for five of those months. Uh, We don't exactly know why. We know that in that time frame that she was treasuring these things in her own heart. But just now, as she's coming out of her seclusion, Mary receives the visit from Gabriel. And of course, all these things are intertwined because after this account... Uh, Mary will actually go and visit Elizabeth. And we have this beautiful uh, moment where these two stories are coming together um, in, in a beautiful way as they enjoy fellowship with one another. So this is the time in which Mary receives the visit from Gabriel. Luke is telling us that these two birth narratives are intimately linked together. They are both a part of this grand story of redemption. But as I noted in my introduction, there are stark differences between these two announcements. 
And the very first difference that we see, the very first prominent difference that we see is the difference between Mary and Elizabeth and Zechariah. Put them together, but Elizabeth. Elizabeth, of course, was prominent. She was uh, the daughter of the priestly line. She married into the priestly line. She has uh, a certain uh, place of position. They live in Jerusalem. But who is Mary? Now, when I say who is Mary, everybody here, and I bet you if you were to go out on the street, 99% of the people, if you said who is Mary in the Bible, the most famous Mary in the Bible, everyone would be able to tell you. Mary, in the Western world anyway, is one of the most, if not the most famous, maybe she's the most famous woman who ever lived, right? The most prominent, most well-known. I do know that in, in, in our Western culture, and in, in the English language in particular, Mary is the most common name. And I'm guessing that translates into other languages as well, but uh, it is the most common girl's name. Maybe the most common name between girls and boys. I don't, I don't even know that for sure. Um, but statues are erected in honor of her. Chapels and churches and soaring cathedrals are named after her. The Roman church has venerated and elevated her to a status that is just one step removed from God himself. And yet, Mary was nobody. She's nobody. We aren't given any information about her parents. Do you notice that? And the other, and the other people were, all, were given some information about who they are and who they belong to. And later on, we will get genealogy in the Gospel of Luke. But for now, we're given no information about Mary. At the end of this section, we will learn that she is a relative of Elizabeth. So there is some relationship to Elizabeth, um, filial relationship to her. But we, don't, we aren't given that information. Mary is just Mary, betrothed to Joseph. Who is Joseph? Well, Joseph was a son of David, so has some, you know, way long ago past history. But Joseph is a carpenter. And where is he from? Nazareth. What do we know about Nazareth? Well, we can say what the disciple Nathaniel said when he was being invited to come meet Jesus. He says... Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's a backwater town, Galilee. So while Elizabeth was the wife of a priest and is engaged in the life of Israel at its center in Jerusalem, Mary is a young girl, probably 12, 13 years old, betrothed, um, whose parents aren't named and is betrothed to a small town carpenter in a disreputable town of Nazareth in Galilee. It's hard to imagine a more unlikely person for the angel of the Lord to visit. It made sense that that angel of the Lord would go from the throne room of God down to the very uh, curtain in front of the most holy place to visit Zechariah. That that makes sense. A young girl in Nazareth with... Parents, we don't know who they are. 
It's an interesting contrast, too, when we think further about this. John the Baptist, the great prophet, would be born to a prominent priestly family. We've already talked about how he was somewhat of a rock star in his role as a prophet. People would stream out to him in the wilderness, and they would listen to him, and they would uh, hear his teaching. But Jesus, the Son of God and Savior of the world, was going to be born to a no-name, nobody... Mary from Nazareth. You'd think it'd be the other way around. From lesser to greater. But this is part of the seemingly impossible means of God's salvation. The Christ. The Messiah. The very Son of God. The King who came to earth. Came in humility. It wasn't enough for him to come to earth and take on flesh and then say, well, he's going to take on flesh and become the king. So he should probably be um, you know, son of one of the more prominent members of society and come in with all the splendor and power and glory that it tends to being a king or even a priest. No, he was, as the prophet Isaiah described him, without form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire. And though Mary was the least likely vessel according to the sensibilities of man, she was the vessel according to the infinite wisdom of God. Jesus came to earth in humility in order that he might bear our griefs That he might share our sorrows. That he might know our poverty. That he might know our lowliness. That he might represent us in every way. And by coming to us and becoming like us and representing us and knowing our frame and our frailty, bless us and give us life. Gabriel visits Mary and announces, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And doesn't that fact alone, that God visited this lowly girl and called her favored by God, doesn't that cause us to pause and to wonder at the tender mercy of God towards you and me? That he, would, that he would stoop down and, and go to this lowly girl who, well, she was 12 or 13 years old. She's a year older than my daughter. And said, I'm with you. And I'm going to call you favored. You will be blessed. And you will be a blessing. Doesn't that cause us to wonder? But of course, the impossibility of her station in life, this lowly person, this lowly girl from Nazareth, doesn't compare with the impossibility that she is a virgin who will give birth. For Elizabeth, there was at least some history, right? The barren woman motif was seen throughout the Old Testament. We had Abraham, we had Isaac, we had Jacob, we had these stories of Hannah and others that, that, that were barren, that 
that were unable to give birth, but that God wanted to demonstrate his power and his love, waited, in in essence, for them to grow old so that he could show his power and love. But there was at least a, a, a story that that fit into. There is no story, no history of a virgin giving birth. There is, of course, mention of this in the, in the prophet Isaiah in chapter 7. Uh, it was an interesting, you can go back and you can read that prophecy. It's, a, it's an interesting prophecy, and I think when you read it in its context, you can start to wonder, how does it all fit together? And that's for another sermon and another day. But, but at the very least, when that was prophesied, it was prophesied to the king Ahaz as a sign that God would be faithful Even though Ahaz says, oh, I don't need a sign. God says, I will bring you a son. Virgin will give birth and will be named Emmanuel. Which means God is with us. But when that sign was fulfilled in that day, it wasn't wasn't fulfilled in the way that we see here in the Gospel of Luke. A, a, A woman did give birth. Was a sign. He was named, interestingly, a different name. You can go look at that. But it wasn't a virgin birth. That was... Unexpected and still waiting. And here in this moment, the angel says, this is what's going to happen. Mary, you will give birth as a virgin. No one has ever spontaneously conceived. No one. It's inconceivable. I, I knew as I wrote it down that I shouldn't say it, but I couldn't help myself. <laughs> but here's the truth. Nothing is impossible with God. And the whole grand story of redemption is about God doing the inconceivable. It reminds me of a good movie line, too. I don't even know if I need to say it. But I can imagine God saying, I don't think that word means what you think it means. <laughs> it's about God bringing life where no life was possible. It's about God raising the dead. Mary was a seemingly impossible vessel. But secondly, and more spectacularly, we see the impossible God, man. The idea of a virgin birth is well beyond our ability to reason and understand. But the idea that this virgin birth was to be the birth of the Son of God is a staggering reality. A staggering reality. Just pause here. Just pause and think. I have three things, three realities that just kind of blow our minds when we think about this God man being born of this virgin. You know, it's so easy for us to, to talk about Jesus that I think sometimes we don't pause and just reflect about what we're talking about. So there are three, three staggering realities from Gabriel's promise of this virgin birth. The first is that Mary was to name him Jesus. Now, on, on the face of this, this isn't all that staggering, right? I mean, it's a name. And Jesus wasn't even that uncommon of a name. Jesus uh, was just a... a the Hebrew word for Joshua, meaning uh, the Lord saves or God saves. Um, and uh, on some level, there was probably other Jesuses running 
running around. It wasn't a, a, a completely unrealistic or uncommon name. So alone, it might not be a remarkable thing. But Mary understands the significance. She understands the significance of the name. In her great song, which we looked at last year, which we don't have time to look at now, she says, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in Joshua. No, that's not what it says. My spirit rejoices in Jesus. No. It says, My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Because she was thinking about this child and realizing what it meant for her personally that this child was her savior. But this child was, of course, more than just her savior. It was going to be the savior of the world. She was speaking of Jesus. It's a declaration of the purpose of the child. Now, like the rest of Jesus' disciples, of course, it took her time to realize what it meant for Jesus to be her Savior. It meant that he had to go to the cross and he had to die. But she knew this son was gifted to her. was going to be the Savior of herself. Does this truth stagger you? It ought to. That the Lord would come to earth to save you and me from our sins is a most astounding truth. Why is that most astounding? Well, sin, after all, is rebellion against God. It's a rejection of God himself. And the question then is asked, why should God bend down and offer up his son as a savior for a rebel like me. Why? John 3.16 is the only answer I know. For love. For love. Friends, this is the most staggering truth the world desperately needs to hear. My soul magnifies the Lord And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. The second astounding truth is that this child is called great and the son of the Most High. He was born of Mary. He was given the traditional Hebrew name, Joshua, Jesus, and was to be a carpenter's son. To run around and play and grow like every other little Jewish boy. Yet he's called great. And the son of the most high. Yes, he was to grow up to be a man. A man of sorrows. He was going to be acquainted with shame and grief. He was going to suffer and get tired. He was going to cry. He was going to laugh. He was going to live. He was going to eat. He was like us in every way that we can imagine. He was like us and yet of course... Without sin. But he was also the glorious Son of God, second person of the Trinity, the one through whom all things were created. He is the one who is from everlasting to everlasting. He is the great I am. And I just have to ask who, in, who of us can grasp this truth? But maybe even more significantly, Who of us would have hope apart from this truth? 
For if he was not fully man, if he was not like us, he could not represent us. He could not stand in our place and bear our shame and our reproach. He couldn't take upon himself the guilt for our sin. But if he were not fully God, what hope of salvation could we have? How could sin and death be vanquished? Only God can bring the dead to life. And friends, we are all dead in our sins. Apart from the power of God, in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-man. Astounding. And maybe it's old hat to you. Oh, of course. Jesus is God, Jesus is man. Yeah, I know that. You know that. <laughs> you realize what you're saying when you, when you state those words, he's fully God and fully man. You're saying the impossible has become possible. Well, the final astounding truth is that this baby would be the Messiah. He was promised from of old. He is the one in the line of David who will establish an eternal kingdom that will never end. Where grace and mercy are the banner that are waving over the kingdom. And where sin and death have no hold and where God's people dwell securely forever. forever. I love all these old carols. Why? Because they, they trace the redemptive story. They're just beautiful. They trace the redemptive story. Jesus is the seed of the woman, the second Adam, the heir of Abraham, the scepter of Judah, the son of David, the shoot of Jesse, the suffering servant, the glorious son of man, God's Messiah, God's forever king, who has even now established his kingdom, which the gates of hell cannot prevail against. This is an astounding truth. And this same king is coming again in glory. Friends, nothing is impossible with God. Finally, my final point in conclusion. Trusting in the impossible. Faith The hero of this story is God himself. The one who comes and who dwells among us and saves his people from their sin. But Mary is a lesser, infinitely lesser, yet still spectacular hero of the faith. And an example to us. When confronted with this unfathomably impossible truth, she asks a really basic question. How can this be? Now, you'll remember, Zechariah asked a similar question. He said, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Now, Mary's was, how can this be? For I am a virgin. Zechariah was disciplined for his lack of faith. He was muted. He was, his mouth was shut. He was dumbfounded, literally. But Mary, we don't get that impression, do we? We don't see that here in the text. This question that she's asking doesn't seem to be coming out of doubt. And yet it seems very similar. Well, all I can say to this is that Scripture tells us clearly that she had faith. If we go forward in our text, she goes and she visits Elizabeth. 
And Elizabeth and her are talking, and Elizabeth exclaims with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Another possibility. That is just a most amazing thing. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. So Mary's question here, how can this be, isn't the question of lack of faith. It's, it's the question of what you've just told me. I can't understand. I don't doubt it, but I want to know more about it. How can this be? Let me know. Let me, let me understand what's going on. Of course, Mary was wondering. She was in awe and amazement. But she didn't doubt the word spoken. And of course, Gabriel was gracious to her. And she told her that the Spirit of God would come upon her. That it, he would overshadow her. And it would going to be this powerful working of the Holy Spirit. Whereas earlier it said she would conceive and bear a son. Now it's clear how this is going to be. The Holy Spirit would come upon her. And this child would be born from above in that sense. And yet, born of Mary. Isn't that the truth? We wrestled a long time in our community group with, how can this be? I don't know. And yet, this is what we're told. But she believes. And this angel told her that he... That God himself would be with her. So I began this sermon by comparing this announcement to Zechariah and Elizabeth's announcement. And there's not only contrast in, in terms of the faith, right? So now we see a difference. Like Mary believed, Elizabeth believed, Zechariah had doubts. But there's something else going on here too. A contrast that may or may not have been obvious to us. But as we think about her faith, I want to point this out. Elizabeth, in response to uh, this glorious announcement, says, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among the people. What was her reproach? Well, the fact that she was barren. It was a, it was a shame in her life that she bore. Culturally, it was... It was much harder there. still hard today. She bore that reproach. And now the Lord had taken away that reproach. But for Mary, her reproach was beginning. You remember what goes on after this. Joseph, she goes to tell Joseph. Joseph finds out. What does he go to do? He's going to divorce her quietly. Now, of course, an angel visited Joseph. We don't get to look at that in the Gospel of Luke, but you can go and read it in in Matthew. Joseph eventually comes to understand what's going on, but you can imagine the rest of the world not understanding what's going on. This small, ignominious town of Nazareth probably had people that were talking. Mary was bearing the reproach. And what is her response? What is her response to the fact that 
Rather than reproach being taken away, this was actually going to be a burden, at least for a time. She was going to bear this, this reproach of having a child that was out of the order of things for sure and seemed um, not from Joseph. All sorts of question marks. She doesn't even mention it. What does she say here? She says, Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. What's the response? Faithful service. Humble service. And of course, she is foreshadowing the humility and service that her own son would perform by bearing the reproach of the world for us. And isn't this faith? This is what faith is. It's to follow our Savior, or in Mary's case, to foreshadow her Savior, to follow her Savior by looking forward to her Savior. But she, she willingly, humbly submitted herself to the service of the Lord in this way, bearing whatever reproach that might come. And so now we look back as those who look on this Lord and Savior who willingly, humbly, bore the reproach of sinful humanity on himself and went and took our sin to the cross, how much more willing ought we to be to say, Lord, I am your humble servant. Do with me as you will. Even if that means bearing the reproach of the world. She sets forward an example of faith. And I would say that this is an equally impossible example. This is where we have to remind ourselves in Ephesians chapter 2 that faith, the very nature of it, is a gift of God. When we exercise faith and we humbly set ourselves in service to the Lord, recognition of who He is and what He's done, all the power of God revealed in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we walk and we say, Lord, I am your servant. Do with me according to your word. When we do those things and say those things, we are displaying the power of God unto salvation in our lives. What a glorious hope we have. What an announcement. Truly nothing is impossible with God. Let's pray.